Assalamualaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode has opened someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Y'all, I am back back people uh from this hiatus that i took this medical leave that i mentioned in one of my uh, latest solo episodes and today i am back with a brand new entrepreneur to interview to talk about uh, how did she become an entrepreneur what made her uh take that leap and then we're going to talk about the work that she actually uh does uh as a consultant and so for those who be listening on apple podcast Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible. Will you please introduce yourself today? My guest, Talisha Savage. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited um, about having this chat with you. Um, well, my name again is Talisha Savage, and just a little bit about who I am. So I started education many, many years ago as a first grade classroom teacher, um, and I've taught everything between K, kindergarten, and eighth grade. Um, my heart and soul is devoted to, to elementary education. Um, but outside of teaching, I've been an instructional coach, an assistant principal, a chief of staff. Um, I am, and as, a, as an assistant principal, I was a turnaround assistant principal, meaning that my school was failing. Um, and to be, to get add a number to that, um, according to my state accountability system, the school was rated at 66.6 .6, um, the year that I came in as an assistant principal. And within three years, um, we were able to shift instruction in everything related Related to school culture, um, and our students were able to perform, and they were learning. Um, our staff engagement ratings went through the roof, um, and we were able to to increase that score to eighty eight point one. And so, um, I've been very successful as an educator, um, and yeah, that's just a little bit about about me and how I not how I got into education, but just me. Period. All right. So, I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. What did you think you'd be doing when you were growing up and how did you find yourself in education? Yes, that's such a great question, because when I first went to college, I told my dad, I am going to be a psychologist. I want people to come and I want people to sit on my couch and I want them to tell me about all the things that's going on in their life. And I want to be able to help people. Right. And so he was like, OK, great. That's wonderful. I love that idea. Go forth and conquer. Well, I went to Georgia State University in Atlanta, Georgia, and I had a great time. And so that first semester, I took my first psychology class and I was not focused at all. And so I didn't get the grade that I wanted to get. And so I was like, oh, maybe psychology is not the thing for me. And so I talked to some friends. And I was like, gosh, what? I need to change my major because I need something different. And um, some of my friends were like, well, I'm majoring in education. Why don't you check it out or whatever? So I just checked it out, went to a couple like meetings or whatever. And was like, I think I, I think I like this. And I also started thinking about growing up. When I grew up, I grew up um, in Conyers, Georgia in, in, during the 80s. And so I was the only Black person in my class until fourth grade. And when I got in fourth grade, there were two of us. 
And then when I got to high school, there were 36 of us, you know, out of a class of like 400 kids. And so there were not a lot of us. I had one African-American teacher, my entire K K-12 experience. And so me thinking about that, I was like, you know what? I want to have educational excellence for brown children, specifically brown boys. I had a friend in high school that got into a little bit of trouble um, and he got, actually he got into a lot of trouble. Um, but there were some other students that did very similar things that didn't get in, they didn't have nearly the same um trouble in air quotes. And so I was like, I want to do something different, you know, for black boys, because he needed a different opportunity than what he got, you know, he was not treated fairly. Um, and so that's really how I got into education. Um, I've always wanted to work in Title I schools. And that's where I worked, you know, because I really wanted to, um, you know, work in communities like the one that I grew up in. Mm. And so you have these experiences uh, in education, you're, you're, you're being successful. And instead of you maybe going that traditional route of, uh, okay, I'm going to be a curriculum specialist uh, in central office, or maybe I'm, 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 my goal is set on the superintendency. Somewhere you decide I need to become a consultant. I need to 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 get out there and make that impact outside of the school system. Talk to us about that journey. And what was that moment like when you decided this was going to be that one thing that I focused on? Because a lot of times when people are thinking about becoming a, an entrepreneur and, and creating a business, they have all of these different ideas. And when people say, oh, look at your passion or look at this, you know, you could be a multi-passionate individual. People are like, oh, I got to do all this. But as a business owner, you know, that's like squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. You can't chase all of those things. You have to find that one thing that you're going to work on. So how did you identify that one thing you're going to build your business around? And what advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs to find their unique focus? Yes. Um, so... When I had my, I have two sons, when I had my second son, I decided that I wanted to stay home for a year, right? And so I, you know, left my my wonderful job as assistant principal and I decided to stay home with him. And that was a year before COVID happened. And then COVID happened. As soon as I like got him enrolled in school or preschool at the time, COVID happened. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll just pause a little bit longer. And during the pause, my friends were calling. It was in the, you know, in the thick of COVID. My friends were calling, like, I can't do this anymore. Anymore, This is too much. And I'm talking friends that were school leaders, people working in the district office, all the way to teachers and paraprofessionals. Just everyone was saying, this is too much. And I've always been um, very active in a couple um, school leader Facebook groups. So my friends are saying this is too much. I can't get my people to do. Um, I think this might be my last year, you know, all the things. Um, and then I'm in these Facebook groups and people are talking about my, my, my students, not students, my teachers won't do. They're no longer motivated. I can't get them to implement the way that they used to. Um, this is kind of moving past, a little bit past COVID. Um, 
and I need something different. And so I saw someone drop this these ideas for these morale boosters in this Facebook group. And people were so excited about these morale boosters. And they were simple things like having a pizza day or, you know, right now a bit, very popular thing that people are doing is um, having a uh, an apple an apple bar. So basically you have apples with various toppings and teacher, teachers can make like apple nachos. And so they were doing things like that as ways to motivate their staff. And it was annoying me because I was like, that doesn't, that does not motivate anybody. These are not five-year-old people who will work very hard for a Skittle. Like what in the world is this? And the third layer was, well, I've had experience with turning the ship around. I've had experience with reducing my turnover rate. Like I know that I can help. And so um, after talking with a couple of my friends, I just created something called the Fill Your Cup Initiative. And so basically it was a space, time and opportunity for people to come together and just connect because that was something that was missing post-COVID or post-pandemic. And so with this experience, people were like, I love this. My staff love this. They're able to collaborate better. They're able to talk to one another. You know, they we really built relationships and communication skills. So let's keep this going, right? Um, and from that, I just was like, okay, well, I think I want to get into consulting. I think I want to help in this way because I'm really passionate about it and I can't stand all of these nacho bars and all the things. Like the food is driving me crazy. Um, and so at the time, I also, this was around January of this year, I also found out about um, Dr. Erica Jordan Thomas. And when I found out about her, I binged her podcast and was like, let me see how I can structure this in a way so that I am, you know, impactful. Um, and that's really how I got started. And so to find a passion, you know, to find a problem that you're trying to solve, I would say, you know, what I did was I found something that agitated me, but there was also opportunity in the market. You know, people kept talking about this issue that they were having. And so then I layered, you know, my experience in how I was able to, you know, fix that problem myself. Um, and that's how I came up with with what I do now. All right. You're about the third people who mentioned uh, Dr. Jordan, who has been on my podcast uh, and them learning about her. So she is, well, she is out here doing it. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Means I got to step up outside of my podcast. I do have a book coming out for teachers. It's a business book for educators. So yes. So it's with the re reviewers right now. From there, I'll make some changes and then it'll go to the editors. So yeah, I'm I'm be on the lookout, people. It's coming. Uh so what's interesting as teachers, teachers are using used to creating things, whether it's anchor charts or different lessons and different activities and crafts and all other things in their classroom, that type of intellectual property where they may not think of it as a valuable asset. But definitely once you get into this business arena, you creating the curriculum, you creating your coaching program or your workshops that you deliver as a consultant become even more valuable uh, to you. Uh, what strategies can you share about actually building those workshops and those programs? Because 
It's not as simple as I have these slide decks that I'm just going to go to a school and talk about and have them on here and maybe share later. But you're talking about building an actual program that people can put into place once you walk out that door. So when people are thinking about doing that, what should they be thinking about? What should they be doing? Yeah, so when you're thinking about helping, and I feel like this with, with anything, if you are a coach and you're trying to help your teachers, you know, you start with figuring out if there is a gap, is there a need, right? And so it's almost like we do some sort of needs assessment, whether that's just through observation, conversation, or what have you. But once you figure out what a need is and you actually talk to people about what is going on and what their concerns are, then you start to see, well, for me, I was able to see, you know, where the gaps were and where I could provide support to to close those gaps. And so that's what really helped me to come up with like my framework, you know, because after talking to about 10 different administrators and school leaders, um, I was able to see clearly what I needed to focus on. And so, you know, again, that's how I create my framework. And from my framework, everything that I do, every workshop that I do, every series that I do, every everything that I do comes from that framework because it's deep in the research that I've done, you know, as a business owner. Mm. And yeah. I like, I love that. And then having that framework be become uh, proprietary, and, and unique to you, again, is awesome because what I want people to know when they jump into these ventures, you are creating a business, not a second job, and this ain't a hobby, right? Correct. So it, it can't be a patchwork <laughs> of different things Correct. that I'm going to teachers pay teachers, I'm doing this, and I'm trying to make all this stuff happen. This is something that you have to really create and have put in place uh, so that, again, when you are working with school districts, I mean, it looks and feels like it's legit, which is supposed to be anyway. But I'm just saying it, it can't right. be. Oh, my gosh. All of us have have experienced that PD that you sat in and you were like, I could be making copies right now. Right. Versus that curriculum that you're versus that PD where you're like, oh, OK. Oh, I can go take this. Right now, I can take a couple of these gems right now and go implement in the classroom or in my job. And that's the aim of what you're trying to do. You're looking for that transformation that you can bring uh, to a school site. And with that and the work you're doing, and, and we're talking about teacher buy-in, and you and I had a, a conversation earlier, a lot has transpired over the past uh, few years. We had the Rona that shut stuff down. And teachers were asked, asked to do a lot of stuff. Some teachers were prepared. Uh, some teachers were thrown into the fire in school districts did not have an instructional technologist to work with teachers. So all, all of a sudden, they were like, go online. Here's a learning management system. Your kids got all these devices sent home. Okay, we're going online. And now they're trying to figure this whole thing out. And then maybe that lasted a year. And some people lasted longer than a year. And then you get back. And it's like, oh, my gosh, uh, I'm trying to work in this new norm and I'm exhausted. And then you may be in a school district where and this happens at a lot of school districts. Uh, you may have a certain rating. Your school district is trying to improve that rating. 
And then it's like, oh, we're going to be a ready school district. And you do that for a year or two. And you're like, oh, now oh, we're going to Classworks. And you do that for a couple of years. And you're like, oh, we're doing this. And so the, it's just like program after program after program and all sorts of things going on. And all of that impacts uh, teacher buy-in, right? So when we're looking at teacher buy-in and all these initiatives that schools are trying to do, and we're looking at the work you're doing, what are some of the strategies and techniques you found in in gaining and maintaining teacher buy-in, especially when we're talking about introducing uh, new programs and resources? Great question. So. The first thing I like to do is to really challenge people around the idea of buy-in. Because for me, personally, when I think of buy-in, I am thinking of, it's almost like the um, the House of Representatives. I need everybody to vote. And I'm checking off your names, literally, one by one. And I got this person on, on board. I have this person on board. I'm missing, I'm missing Mrs. Savage. Where's Mrs. Savage at? You know? That's compliance. That's not necessarily what I'm after. And that's really not, people say they want buy-in, but what you really want is you want deep commitment. You really want people to be so locked into this thing that they're like, oh, we're going to do whatever it takes because we understand we want it. And we know how this is going to impact us and our students. We're, we're really locked in on this thing. So the first step is really challenging the idea of buy-in. Right. And the next thing is something I like to do with administrators is look at, well, what is your vision? And many times people will think people think like, well, vision, mission, values, beliefs, traditions, those kinds of things are kind of fluffy. And it's like, but it's not really fluffiness. So what is your vision? Because your vision as an individual and your vision as a collective body is the glue that holds you all together. So something that I like to do, even as an administrator myself, is we're going to sit down and come up with what is your individual vision. So something that people can literally do tomorrow is get their staff together, give everyone a blank sheet of paper. When you first became an educator, what is the one thing that you were like, this is what I want to do when I get into my first classroom? You were so passionate. You were so driven. Write that thing down. Then I want you to draw a line or turn it over. If you had to amplify that thing by 10, what is that now going to look like? That's our vision. So we talk about that, we massage that, and we bring it together. We come up with what we're doing as a collective. So when you're getting ready to roll out a new initiative, let's say it's a new math program, you're rolling out this new math program, everything that you do now is going to be aligned to that vision that you all set. When everybody was drawing on their paper and we came together and wrote out our 12 words and said, this is what we're going to do. We're all committed to this thing. How does this math program help us to get here? Does it help us to get here? And if it does, how? Do we need to implement the whole program, a half of the program, one part of it, a third? Like, what are we doing? What is that going to look like here in our building? And by doing that, it's giving people a seat at the table. When you give people a seat at the table, they become deeply committed. They become invested in this thing because they had a voice in this thing. Nobody was telling them, oh, we have to do this thing just because XYZ said we had to do this thing. 
XYZ may have said we had to do it, but we can also figure out what it's going to look like when we do it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so that really helps people to be committed. And so I'm about like igniting the passion. You know, how do we get back to that first year when you first started? What did you really want to do? Um, and so it's about for me, it's about commitment, not necessarily the buy-in. Because I don't want I don't want to just check off a box and have you compliant. Okay. So we're we're talking about this and we're getting to the culture uh part because what I find interesting is uh there's this guy in business he has a very famous saying that says culture eats strategy for business. I mean, for breakfast, mm -hmm. culture eats strategy for breakfast. Cause what we find in a lot of school districts is a bunch of uh, strategies and things that's kind of thrown out there. But what they're not thinking about is your school culture is the stuff that happens every day at your school. It's on autopilot. And are you examining that culture you have at your school? Do you have a culture of innovation where it is easier to bring in a new program because your your teachers have that mindset already? The culture of your school of, of we're going to be global, we're going to be dynamic, or do you have one of those uh, cultures? I'm, you know, I ain't gonna go back because I don't want nobody to say I'm shaming folks. But, you know, whatever that culture is in your school, just bringing out a new initiative ain't going to fix your culture, right? Bringing out a new uh, program ain't going to fix your culture. So when we're talking about uh, culture and you're working with people and relating this back to buy-in because you want that deeper commitment, um, what steps can school, school leaders take to create that culture where not only all of these programs and everything sort of fall into alignment and it feels natural and as natural as breathing, but where educators are free to bring their whole selves to work, right? How do they create that inclusive environment that really has an impact on whether or not a school is innovative or not? Yeah. So another great question. And something that you said a minute ago was, you know, sometimes the initiatives change from year to year. Every time the pendulum swings in education, everybody goes with it or lots of people go following behind it. So we really do have to be mindful about moving just because the wind is blowing or just because such and such a said, this is the new best thing. Right. Because as you said, that really does um, cause people to become overwhelmed. It causes people to be burned out. It causes people to say things like, this is no longer it for me. God has something different for my life. And a way to combat that is to what I said a second ago. Number one, you really have to examine your belief around the people in your building. So we've talked about the belief of like buy-in versus commitment, but what do you believe about your people? Do you believe that they have the ability? Do you believe they have the understanding? Do you do you trust the people in your building and vice versa? Do they trust you? Do they believe in your ability as a leader? Um and for me, that is what an inclusive environment is. I'm inclusive of not just you because you are a diverse individual, but I'm including you because you have a diverse thought, 
right? It's not the same thought as everyone else. And so when you're thinking about creating a culture of inclusivity, you have to think about those pieces that I just laid out, but you also have to think about the educator experience. How are the people that come into my building experiencing the work that they're doing? As soon as they walk through the door, I hire them. When they come in the door the very first day, what is that experience like? Am I welcoming them into the building? Do they have a sense of belonging as soon as they come in? Am I asking them for their input in things? Or am I just telling them all the things that we have to do, right? And so like, being very intentional about how people experience the work that they're doing really helps people to live the culture that they want to live out loud. So you can have like a, a written culture and you have a lived culture. So you really have to evaluate which one is present. You know, we say that we're inclusive. We say that we value our people. We say that, you know, we're, we have open door policy and we communicate. But when you pull back that, that onion, when you pull back those layers, are you really doing that? Or are we saying those things in theory or in jest? Um, so just really being intentional about the experience that educators have. Um, really helps people to to be even further committed to the work that they're doing. So let's <clears throat> go a little deeper yeah. into that and talk about uh, teacher and staff engagement. Uh, mm -hmm. The Jeans Day, Jeans Day Pass, you're laughing, you know that's very popular, you know, and they throw that out. And, and let's get real, you know, sometimes, you know, that could be a little treat, even though to me, teachers should be able to wear jeans. I mean, if it ain't tight, low cut or ripped, I don't see an issue with them wearing jeans anyway, but that ain't none of my business. That ain't my pay grade either. But um, when you look at certain things that schools kind of do, quote unquote, yeah. under the veil of faculty, staff engagement and retention, Again, it's 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 I don't want to say it's I don't want to say it's PBI PBIS for adults, but you know it kind of like kind of you know murky waters uh, right here. We talk about that, and when you so when you're working with a school district and and mm -hmm. and and they say okay, Miss Savage, we are having this issue with engagement with retention. Uh, what are some of the practices that you bring to them uh, to improve that, to actually contribute to the success of engaging teachers, getting them more involved, as you say, more deeply committed, as well as keeping teachers at the school? Yes. So, again, it goes back to giving. Let me let me just say this. Everyone wants to feel seen, heard, valued and respected. Everybody whether you are five years old or you are 55, you want to feel seen, heard, valued, and respected. And so when you want people to be engaged in something, you got to engage them. You got you have to ask them questions. You have to seek their input. That's how you engage people. We don't engage people by telling people what to do. If I think about my own children, they don't want, like I have a five-year-old and a 14-year-old, neither one of them want me to tell them what to do. But when I invite them into a conversation, I get way further. 
you know, in that conversation, that means you're simply saying, go do, we're going to do this, you know? And so the same thing holds true for adults. How are we really seeing our people? How are we listening to our people? How are we valuing our people? Giving people a seat at the table, it seems very simple, right? But it is very challenging and it is the easiest way to increase motivation, engagement, and retention. Because by bringing people to the table, by giving people a voice, by allowing people to have some sort of autonomy, you are providing them with what they need to keep their passion inside of them ignited. So you're not having to throw on jeans passes as ways to motivate people because again, they're already locked in, right? So the first thing that I would say is you, again, I, I believe in, I'm an educator. So I believe in doing pre-assessments. So doing a needs assessment and, and really asking your people, how do you feel engaged? Even just as simple as that, do you feel engaged? And what does that look like to engage you in your work? People will tell you exactly what it is that they're desiring. And then as, as the leaders, it is our responsibility to take those, those ideas that they present and put it in a way that works best for the vision that we have and works best for our school community. So again, the biggest thing is giving people a seat at the table. Okay. So you, and this is something that I, I really want you to, to uh, touch on because those who are listening to this podcast, you have been on that other end of a school district bringing someone from the outside in. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you have sat there and have wondered why am I here? Or look, I work for the work for a school district and I've been brought in to deliver PD and I've had people sit there and go, why I'm here. Like I've had a PD coach say, uh, this is school that you're training. Why am I here? And I've had to go, okay, give them something that's a win-win for them. So I've I've done that. And then had the basketball coach go, hey man, I like hey, I'm using it. I'm hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And when you're talking about you are coming in from the outside and you're delivering uh these workshops that you're doing with teachers, uh how <clears throat> Are you able to support them, right? And what advice do you give to someone who, who is, again, you're coming in from the outside. You signed that contract with that school district or with that principal, and these, for all the talk we've talked about earlier about asking teachers uh, and getting their input and creating that type of culture, they still don't have control over who is brought into that building. And when you are coming in from that building, you are still, especially if you were not a teacher there before, right? And they didn't know you, you're still that outsider coming in. And it's like, okay, I'm going to fold my arms until she, he or she opened up their mouth to see what's going on. How are you able to build that relationship with teachers uh, as you're coming in? And what is your advice to someone when they're coming into that building for the first time to connect with people and how are, how 
are a, they will be able to, again, support those school districts in the work that they're doing? Great question. So when you're coming into a building, it's very important to understand what the person that hired you, why did they hire you? What are they hiring you to do, right? So you want to already know, like, I'm coming in because I'm going to help with engagement or I'm going to help shift mo morale, right? I'm going to create, again, here I go, I'm going to create an assessment. And my assessment might be me sitting with groups of teachers and talking with them about what is going on in their building. What does it feel like when you walk through the door? What does it feel like when you have a when you have a great level planning meeting? What does it look like when you get support? When you ask for support, what do you actually want? So when I sit down and have conversations with people, they're telling me the things that that I need to know, number one, but they're also provided with space, time, and opportunity to be heard, to be seen, and to for me to, to let them know that I value their input. So I immediately am able to connect with most people. Sometimes I have people that will sit and they're just like, I don't, you know, I don't know you, I don't trust you yet. And that takes a little bit longer. That may take me talking with them a couple of times. That may take me sending them something via via email for them to complete versus our face-to-face face-to-face interaction. But after I've built that relationship with them and I prove and show them through other people that I'm not here to go back and run tail that. I'm not here to make someone come and be in your room for 12 hours out of the eight hours of the day. I'm not trying to do that. You know, once people know that, the guard still starts to come down a little bit. Um, but I, my advice to anybody is to, number one, you need to know why that person hired you. And you need to have clear indicators as to like, what are you, what is your data collection going to be like? What are your key performance indicators? And that's going to keep you grounded in the thing that the person hired you to do. And so that also lets you know, like, I'm making progress, you know, in helping you to do this thing, or I'm not making progress. Maybe I need to shift, you know, the way that I'm doing this, you know, and ask, guys, why is this not working? You know, this is this was my aim with this. And I think that me being able to talk to people and let them know like what I'm thinking, why I'm making decisions, me being transparent with people and helping them to see like the through line, why we're doing the things that they're doing or what that we're doing. It helps them again to establish trust with me. And so me doing that also models that for other people. And so other people are then like, OK, so I don't have to come in with my checklist. I don't have to, you know, come in and try to make people be more compliant. It's really about building that relationship with people. And then on the educator, the entrepreneur side of it, it's about maintaining um, records of how you're progressing and then continuing to move closer towards the goal. All right. Now, before we go, I want to talk to you about what has been happening within the field of education or not happening within the field of education. Uh, we saw, again, during the Rona, a very jump in technology outside of education and within the field of education. And when we're looking at how things are evolving, uh, how do you stay ahead of the trends uh, in developments in education to ensure that your business remains relevant uh, to meet the needs of 
what is happening happening uh, as, as we're changing and what advice do you have for other edge entrepreneurs entrepreneurs for them to sort of stay current because as human beings it is easy for us to just find that little space we feel comfortable in and that thing that makes us uh just feel safe right because mm -hmm. I, I listen i will tell teachers who you know that's oh we we got a new you know a new initiative uh coming listen i ain't when when i'm first told about this thing i ain't jumping out of my seat either because not only do i have to learn it from your end i gotta learn it from my end in terms of accounts creations how does the system work how does stuff and then i have to sit back and just chill and get over the initial sort of okay another thing you know and center myself on this work and then figuring out again how am i going to help us accomplish the vision and mission of the district by using uh this new tool or this new new program and from there just do it and if it takes me sometimes when i feel that anxiety rising it's like well how do you chop down a tree one swing at a time one swing at a time and i just keep working until i get to that space where i'm like okay whoo we cool let's get out there and make this thing happen uh how do educators sort of get out of their own way because again we can all get into our comfort zone of this is what I do, this is how I do it, but things are changing in the classroom. And, and just because you were hot last year don't mean you're going to be hot next year because things can change and that can pass you by. Right, right. So we talked a little bit about the pendulum and how it swings a lot in education, like a lot, a lot. So one way to stay relevant is to one, for me, it is, because I'm not working inside of a school district, right? So for me, it is talking with people that are inside of the school district, you know? Another way for me to kind of keep my ear to the ground is to be very involved in these various Facebook groups that I'm a part of, because I want to know what's happening from other people's perspectives, right? Um, I'm also skimming my local board me, me, uh, board. Uh, board minutes. Oh, I can, can, couldn't get that out. Um, I'm skimming those board minutes because again, I want to know what's happening, what's going on, you know, in those, in the board meetings. Um, same thing with the state level. And I also like to be involved in national organizations because national organizations are going to, you know, give those big, broad sweeping things that are coming down the pipeline that are going to end up, you know, at my state level, you know, that are going to end up at, you know, within my local, my local district. Um, and as, as a parent, um, I'm also using the information that I'm gathering, gathering from my my both of my kids' schools um, to help me to understand what is still happening and what is still relevant and current in education. One thing that that does make me wonder, and I get a little bit excited and a little bit of nervous, and I'm like, oh my goodness, where are we going with technology, with AI? I'm like, where is education going to be in the next five years? You know, I don't even want to say like. 20 years, like five years, what is it going to look like? And so me 
talking to people that are in tech specifically uh, just kind of helps me to keep my ear on the ground, you know, so that I can kind of know, like, where are we going? What is it going to look like? What might it look like? What the like this thing that's 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 trending and popping in this regard? Um, that just that that does help me. So I would say to, you know, read over those minutes, read over strategic plans. Um, get involved in some principal groups or whatever your area of focus is, if it's instructional coaches or if it's teachers or whatever, get involved in some of those groups and those uh, professional organizations. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Talisha, for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I've I've enjoyed our time together. Um, you've, you've pushed my, my thinking a little bit in in this conversation with with the questions that you asked so i i appreciate that you're welcome and alhamdulillah now people you know how i do this this podcast episode is going to be an apple podcast google podcast iHeartRadio, simplecast stitcher spotify and audible i need you to subscribe and to share with your network and though i'm on all major podcast platforms i'm trying to grow on apple podcast so i need you to not only to subscribe but I need you to listen to it, people, because they do track that. And leave me a review and some stars because your boy he is trying to be found. And I'm trying to get Oprah on the show because I want her to know that we're doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Talisha Savage, for coming on and dropping some gems, so many gems. And for you for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university of entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you, edu. Peace. I'm back, baby.